I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief, and you're listening to EE Times On Air. This is your briefing for the week ending February 14th. In this episode, this week, editor Sally Ward-Foxton scored an exclusive on a new AI chip with a unique architecture that was designed to be both powerful and cheap so that it can enable one of the hottest new trends in electronics, voice recognition and voice control. We'll hear Sally's interview with Exmos CEO, Mark Lippitt. Also, after years of hype, virtual reality is finally a market. Uh, Maybe not the hugest of markets, but a real one. And then there's augmented reality. And and then after that, there's, there's mixed reality. Well, this week we got our good buddy, Kevin Crewell from Tyrius Research to break down what qualifies as AR, VR, MR, and XR to tell us where the market is and also let us know where he thinks it's going. Open the pod bay doors, Siri. Sorry, I don't do pod bay doors. At this point, we're all familiar with Siri and Alexa and Google Assistant. And we've heard rumors, though we have not been able to confirm them, that some of you are even talking to Cortana. Voice input is now pretty familiar. We've had it in our smartphones and in our homes with smart speakers and smart TVs, and it's beginning to show up in our cars. Voice input is just going to get more common because it's the ultimate in hands-free control of our electronics. But we've had speech recognition systems for more than 10 years now. Why isn't it more prevalent? Well, because it's hard to do well, and it's hard to do well at a cost low enough for consumer electronics. Exmos has introduced a new part, an adaptation of its X-Core processor core for machine learning. The result is what the company is calling a, quote, crossover processor, unquote. It's for applications for the AIoT, which stands for, and I can't tell you how much I hate this phrase, The Artificial Intelligence Internet of Things. Anyway, the part is called the xcore.ai. It was built for applications such as voice processing, and it will be available in volume for under a dollar a piece. Mark Lippitt has been with Exmos since its earliest days. Originally the vice president of engineering, he became COO and a little over three years ago was promoted to CEO. Here's Lippitt with EE Times editor, Sally Ward-Foxton. Xbox has positioned itself very clearly in the voice interface segment. Um, does every one of these billions and billions of consumer devices out there, does everyone need a voice interface? Uh, I, think, I think the short answer to that is no. Um, I think um, you, get wide, you get varying opinions. Uh, I think in the future, there will be a voice interface in every room. Um, depending on which room in the house that is, it could be in the TV in the living room. Uh, it might be in a smart speaker in the kitchen or a kitchen hub of some description. Um, in the utility room, it might be in a washing machine or a, or a light switch. Um, in the bedroom, obviously, there's, there's different options with um, alarm clocks and so on. So I think um, there's, there's going to be an enormous amount of voice uh, technology in the world, um, but it doesn't need to be you know, every unit doesn't necessarily need to have a voice interface, although I suspect everything will be voice controllable, which is to say there'll be a proxy voice interface somewhere to control that unit. 
So tell us about the new breed of crossover processors. This is a new class of processor coming out for AI kind of in the endpoint. Tell us about what the definition of this crossover processor is. So there's two existing categories that are commonly talked about. There's microcontrollers. They're typically regarded as being easy to use, low cost. Um, There is a sort of an expectation that's grown about the sort of performance that they might deliver. Um, And then there's applications processors, which are typically heavyweight. They run Linux. Nowadays, there's a quad-core Cortex-A series ARM processor um, in there, along with many other other things that might accelerate um, or video or or, or, um, cameras and so on. Um, There's a big gap between those two things in terms of performance. And there's a growing amount of applications that require more performance than a microcontroller, but can't afford to use an, an applications processor. Um, and growing into that space is a, a new category that we're calling crossover processors, um, which deliver on that performance that's required um, to fulfill those applications. And voice is one of them. Voice is a heavy lifting, far field voice is a heavy lifting application. They deliver on that performance, um, but they are, they are significantly easier to use, significantly easier to deploy lower cost, lower power than using an applications processor. So I think there's a, there's a growing need to be able to articulate that category. And I think crossover processor is a good word for it. So you're up against some big names in the business in this crossover processor category, NXP and others. Um, is there really room for SMEs in this market? Um, well, of course, I'd say yes. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think there is. I think there's, there's, there's perhaps not as much space if you're building... Um, SOCs based on third-party IP, for example, ARM, or maybe uh, maybe now RISC-V as well. Um, but if you've got a genuinely differentiated architecture with some real benefits, um, then then for sure, yes, there's an opportunity for you in this space. So Exmos has a very long history of voice processing. You've been in the voice segment for a long time. Uh, why didn't you come closer to the AI segment or the AI accelerator segment? Why didn't you do this sooner? Um, that's a good question. I think um, that what we did when we entered into the voice space was um, we've done a lot of work on the DSP side. The artificial intelligence aspect of voice has become more and more important in what we're doing. Um, we did take um, a year or two to really determine what the right platform um, should look like. Um, we wanted to make sure that we developed a solution that was somewhat optimized for endpoints for artificial intelligence in endpoints, which is which is a careful trade-off between performance and, and cost. So I think as most uh, listeners all know, Exmos spun out GraphCore back mm-hmm. in 2016. Uh, but just to be clear, you're not intending to compete with GraphCore in, in any way, right? No, no. I mean, Exmos was always, from its very beginning, was always about delivering um, solutions to, to the endpoint. So delivering solutions that would end up in consumer premises or um, all the like. GraphCore, for a little while in the very early days, was part of, was we were talking about adding intelligence to those devices, but the market wasn't quite ready that, at that point. Um, the real business opportunity was on the server side. And that's, you know, GraphCore is, is, has been very successful in pursuing that route. Um, and Exmos is continuing to pursue the, the more consumer side. So very, very different businesses, very different technologies and different cost dynamics and so on. So, uh, yeah, no, no intention to compete. So I looked it up. Among the more recent devices that can now respond to voice commands are a few light bulbs, a couple of robot vacuum cleaners, some thermostats, a ceiling fan, and at least one sous vide cooker. 
I'm trying to figure out if sous vide is really all that, or if it's just another fad like culinary foam and kale smoothies. That is not why we have a comment section on the website, but if you want to weigh in on sous vide, ain't nobody going to stop you. Virtual reality has been anticipated by science fiction writers since at least the 60s and probably before that. So when real VR goggles finally began showing up 10 or so years ago, it almost felt like a case of, what took you so long? As international editor Junko Yoshida and I were scurrying through the great vastness that is the Consumer Electronics Show last month, we were keeping an eye out for virtual reality technology. Frankly, there wasn't as much as there had been in past years. On the other hand, a lot of the stuff that was there seemed more practical than the stuff we'd seen in the past. We decided to take a look at the virtual reality market and the associated augmented reality market in a special project in EE Times, a series of reports on where VR and AR are today. One of those articles is by our friend Kevin Crewell of Curious Research. We invited Kevin to discuss the technology with us. One quick note before we jump in. You'll hear Kevin refer to 3DOF and 6DOF. That's short for 3 degrees of freedom and 6 degrees of freedom. So I have been waiting for virtual reality since seeing the holodeck on the Star Trek Enterprise uh, from Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, it's been, what, 30 years now? Um, and for the last 10, they've told us VR is definitely coming. So is it here? Well, it's been here for a while. So, uh, yeah, it's here. Um, VR is, you know, actually the holodeck is a whole different experience. And that's, mm. that's sort of uh, uh, the, the next generation, I say, of VR. Um, boom, boom. Uh, yeah, so, but um, <laughs> no, um, I, I think part of the problem was the VR got overhyped, especially when Oculus was bought uh, by uh, Facebook. And then all of a sudden, there was this explosion of hype on VR. And the reality was nobody's going to put on VR headset every day and just like go to work in it or, or, uh, you know, it's, uh, or, or, or that's, they're going to be default mode of playing around. There, there are some people who will do it, but that's a small, tiny group of people, but VR does have applications. It's definitely good for training. It's good for educational experiences. Uh, it's good for virtual travel and, it is good for gaming. And now we're finally seeing some of the content come around to make uh, VR a little more acceptable and also some of the new headsets coming out that are more accessible to people and price points. Um, but there's a bifurcation of the market. There's a consumer market. Um, the Oculus Quest is probably the hottest consumer product right now, although uh, PlayStation VR is also a very popular version of VR. And then there's mm -hmm. these over $1,000 expensive um, enterprise class uh, VR headsets. And those are designed for training purposes. Uh, there's actually a market for location-based uh, experiences where people go to a mall and there's a where you play a game and multiple people play together. And those, those are high-quality VR headsets. And that's a fairly interesting little market that's growing. Uh, but the key is... Yeah, the hype cycle, I believe the hype cycle has evaporated. Um, people didn't, it didn't live up to the hype. Everybody thought it was going to uh, 
create, but instead there's a nice, slow, steady progress of VR. Better content's coming, better headsets are coming. Uh, headsets that don't have to be tethered to a PC. I think that's going to be an important breakthrough. Makes a big mm-hmm. difference in terms of how you experience VR. The Oculus Go is a great entry-level VR experience, what they call 3DOF, which basically is a seated position where you can look around, and that's good for 360 mm-hmm. videos. Um, and then 6DOF, the Oculus Quest, is the uh, one I, I bought, and that's like $400 if you can get it. It's actually um, backwater right now. And it's a 6DOF experience. means you can move around a space, and you can walk around it. And, um, and that is actually a, a, a really excellent experience, VR is never going to be for everybody. There are some people who don't have uh, binocular vision, so they don't get the they don't get the sense of depth. And there's some people that VR, no matter what, still makes them nauseous. So they have problems with uh, that movement and, uh, and the eye focus. Um, so there's always going to be a percentage of the. And it's like three three uh, D video. Uh, remember when that was going to be the the rage for TV three D TVs and three D movies? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's some people like they, they they won't even go near it because it makes them it, it makes them nauseous. And so um, yeah, it, there, there's always going to be that percentage of the market. But then again, it's like color movies. There's some people who are colorblind, but that doesn't mean we're not going to have color movies, right? Well, I mean, we were talking about this before. I mean, with uh, with movies in particular, and with a certain category of video games. Um, 360 doesn't necessarily work uh movies especially movies tend to have a script and a sequence of events and if and you want people to see what action is moving the the plot forward and if you're in a 360 degree uh you know uh, environment and you're la di da di da looking the other way you know it's it doesn't work. There's no focus to, to what you're seeing, right? Right. Uh, but that's also, um, there, there are applications. That's where, actually, that's where 360 videos where um, uh, travel is really interesting because mm-hmm. you can go to a spot and visualize being in, in Machu Picchu. Or I, I, we took some videos on the top of Haleakala in Maui uh, or in Ireland. And then you can virtually look around and see the entire environment you're in. So that that actually immerses you in that experience. But as a storyteller, it's really hard to direct somebody's gaze in one direction. Now, it can be done by, you know... um, Sound. uh, Sound, uh, yeah. Sound is actually an excellent way. But it's also really hard to record 360 video without the the person or the, the camera crew getting in the scene. So that's... Um, and that, that, that I mean, for documentaries, you know, then the, the recording crew becomes part of the story. You know, one of the things I w- I'm surprised I haven't seen yet is more like those um, BBC um, in nature films in 360. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't, they're, they're focused on more distant stuff. So I think they're focused on like being able to follow, track the cheetah across the, you know, the, the, the plains of Africa. So that requires a lot of, uh, of focus and, and keeping distance. Uh, but more 360 would have been interesting in there. But uh, by mm-hmm. going back to games, though, uh, some games, yes, you want to keep them on a on a focus, on a plot, and move forward. Mm-hmm. But there are other games that are interactive, uh, multiplayer games, real-time strategy games, where being in the game more uh, is, uh, I think, you know, where the action could be all around you, mm-hmm. uh, could be a really immersive experience, and that could be really good. And that's the location-based experiences, uh, entertainment experiences are like that. And then 
One thing that Junker and I experienced when we were at the, the Qualcomm event in, in back in December mm-hmm. uh, was a game called Beat Saber. And that keeps you occupied because um, you're moving and you got things coming at you in one direction. So even though it's a 360 environment, you're only focused in looking in one direction where things are coming at you. Yeah, you can look around, but then then you're going to lose the game. Yeah, that you get killed. And yeah. just to explain the game, <laughs> yeah. it's, you're, you're so, you've got sort of like a, a lightsaber, a couple of lightsabers, and you've got these yeah. boxes coming at you. They're beats, and you're exactly. using your lightsaber to, to knock them off, right? Right. Yep. And you have to do up, down, uh, sideways. Uh, you also have obstacles that you have to sidestep that come, come at you as well. Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's a, yeah, it's a mix of lightsabers <laughs> and, uh, dance music and EDM music and, uh, it's the killer app for VR. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a very fun game and it's actually, uh, it actually is a little bit of a workout. I, I t- totally agree. You know, I don't want to be a, you know, party pooper here, but I <laughs> usually don't play games. You know, I'm a girl. And, uh, but hey, I, there's plenty of girl gamers, too. Don't <laughs> typecast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Definitely want to stare away from that. Yeah. 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 I didn't say but, it. Junko said it. <laughs> yeah, okay. But when I played that Beat Saber game, I was surprised how fun it was. And I was just realized that uh, how I was married to this old idea. No, I don't play games, you know, but once you do it, it's you, you got so involved. Although I'm really bad at it, but I, I just wanted to play more so that I could get better. Well, that's, yeah. kind of, that's kind of the cool thing about a game in, in, in VR is that it is fully yeah. immersive uh, with, with everything that, you know, that means you're, you're really deeply involved in it but you so we were talking about that that's the experience of uh the the actual applications the games and whatnot the 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 glasses or the headsets um we're talking a couple of things one is comfort and that's often associated with weight and then the other thing is with um uh the graphics reproduction capabilities and any of the other sensor um, capabilities that might be embedded. Um, what have you seen with uh, the improvement in terms of the wearability of, of VR equipment and uh, then in terms of uh, how it's improving technologically? Okay, so the, um, the goal for VR and AR is basically to make the, the head-mounted displays as light as possible. Mm-hmm. So we're making some good progress there. They are getting lighter. Uh, trying to get the balance. Uh, VR especially has a problem with it's got optics uh, right in front of your eyes, and uh, the weight is mostly faced on your on your forehead, um, and that's actually one of the the downsides. The Oculus Quest it's got about you know a, pretty much a pound worth of stuff on your, your front of your face, but nothing on your back. There's no balance to it. Mm. Um, but um, a lot of uh, attention is being paid to that. Battery life has been one of the critical aspects because uh, most of these Devices don't get much more than a couple hours of uh, playtime before the battery winds up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on the AR side, uh, there's this challenge to try to do it completely wirelessly. Um, most of the uh, AR headsets that have some high-resolution displays tether it. So the glasses or the goggles that you put on have a wire that run down to either your phone or a hockey puck of uh, with some compute in it and a battery. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... That offloads that from being on your face um, 
But at the same time, that, that makes it a little more awkward with the tether, uh, the line wire running down from the glasses. Hmm. So we're trying to get better at doing that. Try, the more you can fit in the glasses, the better off you are. But you know, putting a 5G radio next to your head, you may not be as happy about. So having that maybe remote <laughs> might not be a bad thing. Yeah. Um, so there, there are some trade-offs there. Um, and the VR side, we're, uh, the optics are getting better. Uh, the resolution of displays are getting higher. Um, this brand new he- uh, mixed reality headset uh, from a startup called Lynx, L-Y-N-X, was just released earlier this, this week. They mm-hmm. just uh, mm-hmm. came out of Stealth. Um, that uses the new Qualcomm uh, XR2 chip, which we, we, uh, Qualcomm just announced uh, recently, last, just late last year. And uh, that is a, a mixed reality headset. It kinda, it's a VR headset, but with cameras on the outside. And those cameras then take the video of the outside, warp it, and then redisplay it on the, the uh, display inside. So it virtually looks like pass-through. Um, so so the, the, glass, the headset that you're wearing becomes sort of virtual. It sort of looks like you can look, see through it. And that's kind of interesting. And that's, that's, good. that's right now $1,500 when it launches later this year. But that's kind of like state-of-the-art of mixed reality. That's where... Um, you've got uh, the ability to then render anything you want in mm-hmm. your field of view, but at the same time, you still look like you're looking out upon the world around you. You haven't lost contact, which most VR headsets, you do lose contact. Was that the one where somebody was actually driving a car wearing them? That's a different one. So we, we did talk about this earlier. That's uh, another startup called uh, VARJO, and that's an extremely expensive uh, headset designed just for industrial purposes. And that has a higher resolution display, and um, that was amazing. I had that. I had a chance to see that demo um, last year, and their design. I mean, it was so the the, the realism was so good. They had a, they popped up, and I was putting the display on. And they popped up a virtual Ford Mustang next to me, and I literally wanted to put my hand on the side of the car and just lean on it. And it, but it wasn't there. It wasn't really <laughs> right, there. Right, right. But it wow. sure looked solid. And they've actually done some tests with uh, Volvo, and Volvo let them drive with this headset on the car. So it, it passed through. It was just uh, It's just amazing. Now, that said, it required a really high-end PC. The difference is that that, that was designed, and it's also a very high-resolution display. So that's designed for the very, very high-end, and that's industrial only. But the Lynx headset, uh, what they're calling the R1, mm-hmm. you know, $1,500 is not a bad price point. And it's standalone, so it uses the VR uh, XR2 chip from Snapdragon, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to be really interesting. It's got a very unique uh, display, and it'll do some eye tracking as well. Um, so there's lots of applications for that. I think the uh, this is that's sort of the the next wave of uh, headsets will be this kind of mixed reality headsets that have ability to look through the virtually look through the glass uh, through the the headset. Okay, so we started talking about VR. We just started, yeah. now we've been talking about MR. Mixed we, reality. We mixed reality. Uh, I would have thought that we would have had augmented reality, AR, in between. Or are we getting it simultaneously? Yeah. We're, we're, actually, the funny thing is, everybody expected AR because it's been around longer. Mm-hmm. There's been a market for AR in industrial applications. Uh, companies like Epson, um, Canon, Others have been in that space for for a long time, and a number of, of companies have been in that space for a long time. But but the applications were all 
uh, enterprise based. Mm-hmm. There were you know field service engineers or repair engineers or um, training purposes. Uh, the, the stuff that you see a lot of uh, Microsoft HoloLens being used for mm-hmm. um, is mm-hmm. for architecture and such. So those were around for a long time, uh, but it, that enterprise market is growing significant year over year, but it's not completely like taking off. The consumer level, I mean, the first consumer or sort of consumer-facing product was Google Glass, mm-hmm. which actually is still around. There's mm-hmm. Google Glass Enterprise Edition that's still around, second generation. Uh, and that's more of almost a heads-up display. It didn't really have a, a sense of where you were at or any kind of um, a 3DOF or any kind of you know, motion tracking. Or, but um, that fizzled relatively quickly. But Google S has applications, just like I mentioned earlier, for industrial applications. Um, and then the closest thing I've seen to a, commercial, a consumer glass, augmented glasses, is the Enreal glasses that were at CES and I've seen earlier last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're actually not too bad. They look like kind of clunky sunglasses. Um, and they have good heads-up displays and capabilities. But um, that is taking much, much longer. Magic Leap has been promising us this uh, mixed reality, augmented reality uh, future uh, glasses that even the ones that came out, they only sold a fraction of whatever they anticipated. And they're super expensive. So AR is just hard, harder to do. Um, then VR. VR is actually use a lot of cell phone technology to get uh, the VR displays up in, in your eyes, and the small displays were very readily available. But everything about AR to get these heads up uh, displays in front of your eyes uh, is, is requiring a lot of new technologies, and these light field uh, displays are hard to to get in a high volume, inexpensive uh, process. We have this uh, discussion. We have this. Uh, perhaps disagreement about the semantics on what AR is. Um, you're making a distinction between augmented reality and mixed reality and head-up displays. These are three, three, three different things in your in your mind. Yeah, actually, because um, heads-up display just basically means there's something in the corner of your eye that has a display of some information. Okay, and there's no there's no context. Right. Okay. Uh, to the to the reality around you, other than yeah, it's just like basically be almost like sticking your phone and sticking it up next to your eye. So, I mean that's that's really all an AR. That's all a heads up display does. But it's useful. I mean you can put a camera on it, so so you could like like uh, if you've got to do repair work and, uh, and you need an expert, so the the camera can come on, uh, the expert can see what you're looking at, then that expert uh, may may pop something up in your eye saying, hey, look at you know. Um, Here's my, you, know, you may see the guy talk to you or a person talk to you, I should say, uh, about the what to fix in it. Augmented would be where you're looking at, say, an engine you know, and and the uh, carburetor suddenly highlights because the guy wants you to say, oh, here's, the, here, here's what you do with the carburetor. And, he point, and, and arrows point in your view, field of view on, on right. that carburetor. Mm. Yeah. That would be augmented reality. Okay. That, that's where... That's where the reality, the device in front of you, like a carburetor, is suddenly augmented with arrows and pointers and and uh, right. and descriptors. Like it, you can see it being pulled apart and put back together again, right in front of you. Mm-hmm. That would be augmented reality, and that's that's kind of the promise of Hololens and um, uh, Magic Leap, and that requires being able to map the world around you from the glasses. So it had to 
basically see the world around you and then do uh, and then uh, place an object in that virtual world of yours. And that means like it has to be able to know like there's a table in front of you and it puts the object on the table kind of thing. So that would be augmented reality in my mind. Mixed reality, there's no standard uh, widely accepted uh, agreement on this on these terms. Um, in fact, uh, uh, others will call uh, will use XR mm-hmm. to to call extended uh, reality. Extended reality. We also, uh, uh, some people use X as in like uh, like the letter X in terms of like an unknown. So it could be A, M, <laughs> or V, and therefore it's uh. an X. You know, X equals whatever you want it to be. Uh, so yeah, I think Qualcomm uses extended reality. Uh, Microsoft like mixed reality. It, can get, you can get lost in the nomenclature, but at the same time, augmenting reality, I think, really needs uh, a context. It needs to know the context that you're looking right. at. Right. So I want to I want to mix up your taxonomy even further. So I was at at CES as okay. you were, as Junka was. Uh, when I was there, mm-hmm. I saw what uh, this company they have what they call a Tesla suit, and uh, they called it an AR technology and basically what was was a jacket or jacket and pants and you could use it with a a head you know glasses or not but it was filled with sensors and actuators so that uh you got a haptic experience out of it they had a specific application where they were teaching pole monkeys people who climb poles for uh you know cable industry or if you've got maintaining a factory and you're up and down gantries and ladders. The idea was, was that they would activate these actuators and make it feel as if your muscles are fatigued as you're climbing or pretending you're climbing in this AR environment. Uh, The idea is to teach you not only uh, what you're doing, but also so that you have the, the tactile experience and you know, we were talking about people getting sick in VR, people get, uh, you know, acrophobia. You know, yep. they they would have a scene where they're up high on a pole and you could accustom these folks to the, the entire mm-hmm. experience. Okay, so what is that? Is that, that's XR, right? That's, no, that's, I mean, every call, that that's actually what we would call uh-huh. haptics. And haptics is a turn in and of itself. And I think that best applies to, the description of what they're doing. Um, it is augmenting your reality in a sense, uh, but haptics is that uh, that interactive feedback, that tactile feedback. feedback. Yeah, right. So I think haptics yeah. is the proper term for it. But, you know, like, um, I mean, you know, the, the next step is, well, what, what's smell vision? If, if they uh, release the smell for- There you go. Yeah. So, those, yeah, like in the 50s, that smell visions. And uh, the, the, that's not haptics because I don't think it's touch-based. So the yeah. question is, what would you call that? Is that augmenting your reality? I guess, it, or is it, or is it just you know just thinking your reality? I don't know. Just <laughs> thinking reality. There are there companies working on this. There, you know, and think about it. It's like that. That's some of those Disney rides. You go through some of those Disney rides. Uh, you know, a dragon sneeze on, mm-hmm. sneezes on you, and you get a spritz on your face. Uh, you know, you do get smells. Uh, you know, the smell of oranges when you're going over an orange yeah. grove, that kind of stuff. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Disney's Imagineering Group does all those designs, and they they kind of right. kind of create that that all the sense of uh, reality. We're not there for the home version of it. Yeah, I really don't right. want my Oculus Rift spritzing <laughs> me in the nose. Not yet, anyways. Well, yeah. No, no. 
So uh, there's a definitely a distinction, though, between consumer and industrial here. And um, it sounds like the industrial applications of XR, whether it's V, A, or M, are a little more mature than, than some of the consumer applications, yeah? Yeah, no, because and, and, there's real business cases to be made for use of these things. Training, actually, you know, you mentioned one thing about, you know, overcoming the mm-hmm. uh, fear of heights. There is actually good use for VR for a lot of these types of uh, uh, desensitizing uh, mm-hmm. uh, training techniques, especially if you like, you want to speak in front of a crowd and you're afraid of speaking in front of a crowd, uh, why not put a VR headset and do a virtual crowd and be able oh, to speak in front of that? Yeah. That would be a great way to kind of, you know, there's, there's a lot of applications. Uh, PTSD, tra- uh, yeah. a lot of PTSD um, uses a VR for helping uh, those. those uh, yeah, I remember actually being uh, thrust into a, a VR environment. It's the African felt. It was really cool. to looked around, saw elephants drinking and, but, you know, muskox or whatever you know ferrets i don't know what they have in africa anyways uh and then they like cut to a different scene and it was like i don't know you know trees and butterflies and stuff and then they cut to another scene and it was from ten thousand feet up in a helicopter above the island of manhattan my heart almost stopped (laughs) (laughs) whoa i'm up in the air Uh, yeah actually some of the vr experiences like that um we're like there was one in the Himalayas where you're walking at the cross a ladder. And it, I mean, literally people were afraid to cross the ladder, even though they know they're standing on a floor. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's true. In a hall that you're not, you're not going to fall through. Uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, I think as uh, Kevin said in his stories, uh, the, um, the industry applications mm-hmm. are real and uh, making steady progress, as you said. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been here for, for a while, right? I mean, I think George Leopold, one of our colleagues, wrote a story about how the Lockheed Martin has been using AR for the um, designing of NASA's mm-hmm. Orion mm-hmm. spaceship. Yep. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's, 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 it's not like anything new. Actually, they've been actually using it. Yes, you know, for for good reasons. Yeah, they also use right. it for training for the ISS. Uh, there's there's yeah. a lot of applications for VR, for applic- you know, where you can't get into the or it's expensive to um, to work on something or to to get in a situation like being in space where you've got to yeah. virtualize it. Um, actually, I have another good example, and I was um, uh, at the show. Toyota had their announcement of their Weave City, where they're going to oh, create yeah. a, okay. um, a a wholly <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. environmentally friendly. Uh, city where all this interactivity um, and monitoring, but what they're going to do is they're going to create a digital twin first before they actually build a city, so that you can actually they can actually help experience the city before they actually build it. Exactly, that's so, right. Yeah, that's so another right. application yeah. for this kind of virtual uh, reality because you right. use it to kind of re- create and 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 walk into an yeah, environment before that's, that's, it actually built the whole city, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was kind of cop up, you know. They they are planning it, but first we're going to do it in the digital twin. No, actually, that's more and more you see digital twins being used uh, for even autonomous car uh, design and all that. Oh, where they right. create a full yeah. digital twin first, so they can build it out, so that they can and test it. Yeah, but you know, when it, when it comes to the consumer experience, um, the one of the things that I always uh, object is, you know, this is really going basics. But you know, we we briefly talked about. Yo, know, you're gonna TV. throw water all over this, huh? 
Ah. Yeah, I just don't like it to put any to put anything on my face. I mean, three of us here, you know, we are yakking away. Everybody's wearing glasses. I don't want to have anything on top of my glasses. I saw aliens, and it's Period. just a bad experience. <laughs> actually, you know, the funny thing is, um, I, I actually like 3D movies. That was one of the when I um, you know saw the first. Uh, movie theater, movie in 3D. Creature uh, of the Black Lagoon in, in 1959. Come on, I, I know you're that old, so am I. Uh, no, no, it was Avatar. <laughs> and now I thought it was cool. I mean, I literally was like leaning over my seat trying to look ahead, look over the, the cliff at some scenes. <laughs> but um, no, the goal actually for AR would be to integrate your um, your prescription into the uh, AR glasses at some point in mm. time so that mm. therefore it would be fully integrated. It wouldn't have to be layered. Um, and because uh, later definitely is not optimal, and that is clunky. Yeah, that's really irritating. It. Yeah. But uh, my joke about this has always been that uh, this is the revenge of the geeks because we're going to make people even with who don't wear glasses wear <laughs> AR glasses. It all evens out yes. in the end. That's it. So wearing it glasses are cool. So we're all yeah. walking around looking like Jordy from Next Generation. <laughs> ne- never irritate an engineer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, Junko, yeah, Kevin, no, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, no problem. This, this was a lot of fun. The market for VR and AR gear is projected to grow to $18.8 billion by the end of this year, according to market research firm Statista. That includes mostly headsets and glasses, but also handhelds, wearables, and body cameras. Now, the industrial sector may have more applications, but the big part of the market in terms of revenue will still be consumer products, such as Facebook's Oculus Rift and Sony's PlayStation Virtual Reality. Microsoft and Intel have been investing heavily in AR and VR and have yet to commercialize much of their technology. Research in markets has a more expansive view of AR and VR. It takes into account enabling technologies such as 5G, artificial intelligence, edge computing, and robotics. The research firm points out that advances in those areas are going to pave the way for VR and AR being adopted in a number of different areas, including media, gaming, telepresence, retail, medicine, and education. Read more about AR and VR on eetimes.com. And now we move forward into the past. Every week, we celebrate some of the anniversaries of great moments in the development of the high-tech industry. On February 20th, 1962, John Glenn became the third American in space and the first astronaut to orbit the Earth. April of the preceding year, cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin was the first person into space and the first person to orbit the Earth. Gagarin orbited a single time, while Glenn went around thrice. On February 21st in 1858, Edwin Holmes installed the first electric burglar alarm in the world in a home in Boston, Massachusetts. The alarm had been invented five years earlier by the Reverend Augustus Russell Pope. Holmes had bought the patent from Pope. Now, I could end that there, but the internet is the most glorious rat hole known to man, and this story just keeps getting better and better. Edwin Holmes was a businessman, not an inventor, and he needed someone to build his burglar alarms. He chose a machine shop run by a fellow named Charles Williams, who at the time was busy manufacturing telegraph machines. Williams assigned one of his junior employees to the burglar alarm account. 
That young man was Thomas Watson. Yeah, that Thomas Watson. So the Williams shop made the main alarm unit for Holmes, who engaged another company to make the springs that attached to the doors and windows. The device also required a bluestone battery and insulated copper wire. Now, at the time, according to Holmes's memoir, the only insulated wire available was too fine. He found a source of copper wire that was the proper gauge and also secured a supply of silk thread, which was then the preferred material for insulation. So he had this wire and he had this silk, but he needed someone to wrap the silk around the wire. Now, it just so happens that earlier in his career, Edwin Holmes was the first person in the United States to manufacture hoop skirts. This according to his memoir. So he went to the factory that made the hoop skirts and had them insulate his copper wire with the silk. Now, after all that work, Holmes still wasn't selling many burglar alarms. Apparently, there wasn't enough crime in Boston to suit his purposes. Or maybe there wasn't enough value in Boston to steal. Whatever. According to his memoir, he, quote, quickly made up his mind that all the burglars there were in the country were in New York, unquote. And so he moved there. He did, in fact, do a booming business in New York City. Meanwhile, Holmes's son joined his father's business and ran operations back in Boston. In New York, the elder Holmes realized it would be possible to monitor burglar alarms for clients if they were all connected, and so he set up a proprietary network. He encouraged his son to do likewise in Boston. Then, one day, the younger Holmes happened to be in Williams's shop, where he ran into Watson working on the model of a telephone for Bell. The two got to talking and realized that burglar alarms could be connected to a central office not by dedicated wires, but by sharing phone lines. The central office of the Holmes Electric Protective Company became the Bell Telephone Company's first telephone exchange. It was a service the burglar alarm company sustained only for a few years before cashing out. But still, I love history. So that's your weekly briefing for the week ending February 14th. The weekly briefing appears every Friday. You can listen on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and of course, you can find it on our website at eetimes.com, where you can find a transcript of every podcast. Do us a favor. If you like what you've been hearing, share the podcast with your coworkers and friends. So that's it for this week. This podcast is produced by Aspen Core Studio. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.